Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up rockabilly track. Now processing fatherhood trauma. Preparing updates on movies, video game, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. Christian, it's been a long fucking week, man. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> fuck ice. Um, you know, we live in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, usually during the winter, I mean, ice is a hazard that we, you know, have to deal with constantly. Well, my poor elderly mother <laughs> slipped on a huge patch of ice while walking the dog and just absolutely shattered her <sighs> ankle. 13 screws later, Ooh. they put her back together. So, I mean, she's basically one of those mod kids from Book of Boba Fett now. (laughs) Just horrible. So we've been, like, you know, taking care of her all week. So, Mm -hmm. you know, poor Christian's had to pick up the slack. You know, he'll be doing the news for the foreseeable uh, future. So I appreciate it, Christian. Um, Hey, no problem. You know, for picking up the ball and running with it. But uh, we've got a lot to talk about, man. Did you uh, check out uh, Peacemaker? Yes, and I, I I love it. I think it's a fucking awesome time. I haven't watched the newest episode, but we did catch the first three. Yeah, no, I, I really think it's amazing so far. I mean, Gunn is taking a character that was pretty fucking vile from Suicide Squad and, like, somehow making me actually care about them. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, as a series, I kind of expected to be more in the tone of something you'd get out of, like, Deadpool. You know, mm-hmm. filled with just like irreverent humor. Um, and that's there. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that opening sequence alone, which I can't skip past. Like I watch it every <laughs> single episode, uh, maybe a few times. Uh, it's just, you know, fantastic. But like this series is really like a character study, I feel. Like as we kind of like just really dive into like what makes Peacemaker tick and what is just behind his whole like ridiculous facade which happens to be the fact that he's constantly trying to please his extremely racist father (laughs) which is played by the great robert patrick uh i also love the tea dynamic that they've got going Mm -hmm. on the characters all have good chemistry uh especially uh leota i think that's how you say her name um you know and uh peacemaker uh, you know, spoilers, especially with her being like, you know, Amanda Waller's daughter. I think mm-hmm. there's a real nice like parallel between her relationship with her mother and like Peacemaker's relationship with his father. Like they both have some serious fucked up parent issues, you know, going on. Something that I feel like Gunn is going to be diving into further throughout the series. So, I mean, sp- but yeah, so far, so good. Um, and I'm looking forward to the next, I think, what, like six episodes? Yeah, there's five episodes left. And I mean, you know, I gave Gunn tons of praise for his character work, you know, in Suicide Squad. So just being able to see this extended form, Matt, like with TV and him getting to dive into these characters so much deeper. I mean, we've learned so much more about this character. I've never even heard of Peacemaker in these last three episodes alone, let alone like just how much of a monster he was in that film. It's it's so crazy to think, you know, there's there's this possible good spirited person in there. Like I didn't even realize his helmet had powers. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, actually, like, it's, like, 
tech based. Like I had no clue um, until like the first episode. So um, yeah, like literally knew nothing about the character. Like I, I recognized the character from comics, but I don't think I ever read a book with him in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it in the Suicide Squad, he was probably one of the more like one dimensional characters yeah. in the film. They really focused more on giving a backstory to characters like, you know, Ratcatcher and, you know, Bloodsport. So, um, but it really goes to show you what a great storyteller Gun is. And when mm. HBO Max, like, literally went to him and said, you know, what do you want to do? You know, basically giving him, like, a, you know, clean palette to, you know, tell whatever story he wanted to in the DC universe. And he chose Peacemaker, which would be one of the last characters I think he would pick, you know, from that film. Uh, But it goes to show you that he probably already had this whole, like, backstory laid out for the character. He just didn't get a chance to tell it within, you know, his film. So uh, Cena also deserves a lot of praise here. Yeah, I mean, this is his best work on the screen so far. No, I'm not even like looking at him as like John Cena, the wrestler. Like this is, you know, really just a great acting role for him. But um, as far as James Gunn goes, I'm already predicting that, you know, Guardians could be his last Marvel film and he could just fully move on to DC at this point. Especially if they're giving him like Kerblanc here. Yeah, and I think he actually pretty much came out and at that at this point mm-hmm. so um but you know if dc's willing to like give him complete access to their toy box you know of you know thousands of characters to play with then who could blame him exactly i'm sure he actually has more freedom in dc um you know they're, they're not running as tight a ship as like foggy is over in the mcu not saying that like marvel wouldn't be a great job to have but mm-hmm. you know for you know, a creative mind like James Gunn, I, I'm pretty sure he appreciates that freedom. No, exactly. I mean, I think the most common thing we hear about directors that do leave Marvel projects is because of creative freedoms not being allowed. So I'm sure we'll be back once the series ends with the full review, um, you know, and talk some spoilers, uh, you know, unless people reach out and demand that we do an episode by episode breakdown. Uh, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, you know, if, if the people want it, then, you know, we'll obviously do it. So, yes, uh, but, <laughs> anyway, I'll do it. Yes. yes. <laughs> but anyway, let's move on to the show. OK, what are we talking about this week, Damon? Well, this week we'll be breaking down chapter four of the book of Boba Fett and we'll be catching up with some news and reacting to the first Moon Knight trailer, which finally arrived this week. Plus, over in Christian's Corner, I'm bringing you my most anticipated games for 2022. And, of course, we'll be talking some AEW. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. So unfortunately this week we start off the news with a tragic story. That's right, Moon Knight star Gaspard Yuliel passed away this past week due to an unfortunate ski accident. He's starring in the role of the Midnight Man in the upcoming Moon Knight series, and he's also known for his role in Hannibal Rising back in 2007. Yeah, just some awful news. Um, and our thoughts go out to his family. 
Well, Christian, we've got some catching up to do news-wise since the last two episodes of our show have been kind of special editions. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, Star Wars Bo-Katan is getting her very own Disney Plus series, of course, starring Katie Sackhoff. So this story broke via the hashtag show, claiming that Star Wars has another series in the works centered around Bo-Katan, as played by Katie Sackhoff. On top of that, Ming-Nay Wen, who plays Fennec, would go on to retweet the news and praise Katie Katie Sackhoff's new series, though she deleted it moments later as the series hasn't been officially announced yet. So I feel like you can take that in like two different ways. Maybe Ming-Nay Wen, you know, knows about it and wanted to really just celebrate the news or she found out like everyone else and was just excited for one of her co-stars while not really knowing any details about the show. That hashtag show also brought up how Bo-Katan could have played a role in the now canceled Rangers of the New Republic series. So perhaps the team over at Disney had a plan for the character outside of the Mandalorian that they will now use in her own series. We do know that, you know, Bo-Katan will play an important part in season three of Mandalorian, you know, just based on how the second season ended. And while Bo-Katan is a great character, I definitely didn't imagine her getting her own solo series though. It does feel a bit redundant, right? Mm -hmm. I kind of just assumed that her story would play out in like the third season of The Mandalorian. And I mean, part of that might still be true, but I don't know, like, while I love the character, we have a lot of like TV series right now from Star Wars devoted to like characters running around in Beskar armor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and with like the series all kind of intertwining, couldn't we just tell her story within like one of these other series? Like, do we need a full separate series for that story? And maybe we do. Maybe it's going to be a total like, you know, Mandalore story and everything and we're gonna see like the war for Mandalore if you will I just assumed we'd see that like during season three of the Mandalorian or you know season four for, for that matter so hell even um flashbacks from in like Ahsoka you know <laughs> that is true also so um but yeah I'm here for it you know <laughs> you don't have to twist my arm I'm still gonna watch the damn thing uh -huh. I'm just hoping that it's not taking away the opportunity to tell a different Star Wars story because there's so many, you know, different characters in mm. this giant fucking universe that you've built um, that are so deserving of, you know, their own series also. But I mean, even if we are sticking to like the current cast members that we've seen in Mandalorian, I would have thought Fennec of all people would have her own solo adventures before Bo-Katan in this like, you know, spin-off thing that they're doing just because, you know, she has so many missions she could have gone on. I guess. But at the same time, like, I mean, we're kind of getting bits and pieces of that story in the Boba Fett series yeah. and maybe even in the Mandalorian series. So and I love all these characters and. I don't know. I'm not scoffing at the idea of a Bo-Katan, hmm. you know, series. I mean, I don't know. How about like a Akira, like Crimson Dawn series? How awesome would no, that, that be? Would be good. Yeah. But of course, there's also rumors that she's going to show up during Book of Boba Fett. Uh, so. They're just trying to capitalize on what, you know, they know works. And that's Mando. So they're just like, give me more Mando is all they want to no, do. Obviously. But it's just, I don't know. Like I said, they're going to sell me on this series. So I don't know what I'm bitching about. So up next, we have a rumor that the Batgirl film has cast its Nightwing. This rumor coming from Crazy Days and Nights suggests an announcement is on the way for the official casting of Nightwing. They also suggest that it's an MTV star we all know too well. 
which I don't know how to feel about. <laughs> as long as it's not someone like Rob Deirdrick, I guess. But anyway, as we do know from the comics, Nightwing has an on and off relationship with Barbara Gordon. So hopefully they'll cast someone with good chemistry along with Leslie Grace. It will also be interesting to see how Michael Keaton's Batman interacts with, you know, one of the boy wonders as he never got his sidekick in the Burton run. Christian, is MTV still a thing? Uh, I, they have shows like Catfish, but I don't imagine Neve and Max showing up, so. Could it be Kurt Loder? <laughs> I, I, I don't, I doubt it. <laughs> is he alive still? I don't even know if he's still alive. It's gotta be like no. 70. <laughs> That's the only like MTV personality I can think of. Ricky Rackman, you know, I'm, I'm from a different generation. Yeah. So I, once the videos left the channel, I left also, so. Uh-huh. This isn't necessarily surprising news. Uh, we did get a behind the scene photo of like a mural with uh, Michael Keaton's Batman, you know, next to a Robin. So it makes sense for the character to show up in some shape or form, you know, in the film, especially like you said, you know, since he has such a strong relationship with Barbara. Um, it'll be interesting to see if in this film, if, you know, Barbara's kind of, you know, Batman's new sidekick. So you're kind of like playing with like parallels, you know, with like Dick and Barbara here. Um, mm -hmm. Dick in the comics, when he first takes on that role, he's trying to get out of Batman's shadow and he's filled with a lot of angst. So it'd be cool to see them kind of play up that dynamic between him and Barbara, if that is the case, if she is kind of, you know, Bruce's new sidekick. Also in the film, she's supposed to be a police officer for the GCPD. And I know Nightwing becomes a police officer at one point, not in Gotham, but I mean, maybe in this film they meet on the job. I don't it makes know. sense. I mean, it'd be like a quick connection for them, especially like maybe that's what leads her down the path to joining the Bat family. So on the horror front, Final Destination 6 is heading to HBO Max. And it has a very popular producer right now attached. Well, it looks like my childhood trauma lives on as this franchise finds a new destination in HBO Max. It also looks like John Watts, director of Spider-Man No Way Home, is not only a mega fan of the franchise, but will now be heading on to produce this next film. And you know, after that nightmare sequence with Mysterio and Far From Home, I can only imagine the sick things Watts could possibly come up with, along with the other producers for this next entry in the franchise. So at first, when I heard that Watts was producing Final Destination, I thought it was kind of a strange choice for him. Uh, but I totally forgot that, you know, he kind of started off his career in horror. Um, he directed the film Clown, which was produced by Eli Roth. And then uh, he also did kind of a thriller type film with Kevin Bacon called Cop Car, um, which is actually really good. And I highly recommend checking that out. Uh, so but, you know, he's got horror in his veins, so it does make sense. Uh I, I think I heard that he's actually a big fan of the franchise, which I am too. Uh, you know, obviously the last couple sequels were a little lackluster, but I would love to see the franchise get back on track. And hopefully he's the guy, you know, to do so. Honestly, this is a franchise that could reboot at any time and no one would notice because it's it's such an easy concept. It's death stalking and killing you you know there's no like main three yeah, line no, that you really need there's no continuity really i mean some of the characters yeah, survive exactly. for the next film but then they typically get killed off right away right <laughs> i mean mm -hmm. we had tony todd like <laughs> popping up here and there but there's no reason why they can't keep that going you know <laughs> exactly so i mean bring it on man i mean really like my favorite part of the entire franchise was just the fact that it was literally just a gory version of mousetrap you know come to life 
All right, so lastly, we have a huge story. Microsoft purchases Activision Blizzard for $68 billion. As if buying Bethesda wasn't a big enough move for Microsoft last year, this year they pick up franchises like Overwatch, Diablo, Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, and more with their new acquisition of Activision Blizzard. And what a massive acquisition it is. That will only bring more value to their, you know, games as a service platform, Games Pass, which I'm already a subscriber to as it helps me be able to stream more games for you, our listeners. I've raved about the accessibility of Games Pass and how it brings more games to players that might not be able to drop $60 every few months. But as it continues to grow and become kind of like this Netflix of gaming, you have to wonder how Nintendo and Sony are going to be able to, to compete with Xbox in the upcoming years, especially with some of the most desirable third-party studios all living under their umbrella. With all the recent controversies from Activision Blizzard, this is probably the best thing for their brand right now. Just hopefully under Microsoft, the toxic behavior comes to a full stop. But alas, we will be watching this very closely and report on just how exclusive things are about to become how Bethesda's future games are now only available on Xbox. Oh, and one more thing before we move on, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, who recently played in the movie Kate and also known for her roles in Scott Pilgrim along with Birds of Prey, will be joining Rosario Dawson and Hayden Christensen in the upcoming Disney Plus Ahsoka series for Star Wars. So of course, we'll be watching that as well as we don't know what character she will be playing just yet. Well, Christian, we also had a huge trailer drop this week, a trailer I've been waiting for for a very long time. That trailer is for Moon Knight. I can't, I can't tell the difference between life and dreams. Thank you. Lost the contact lens. Hope you find it. Thanks. So we open up the trailer and we're seemingly following Stephen Grant, uh, one of Mark Spector's many personalities. Uh, Moon Knight, if you don't know, suffers from dissociative identity disorder. Uh, Mark Spector, at least in the comic books, is Moon Knight's primary personality. Although in this trailer, it looks like Stephen Grant is in the driver's seat, uh, but that could be misleading, of course. Um, Mark Spector is a mercenary who discovers uh, Khonshu, the Egyptian god of the moon, and is granted superhuman abilities after Mark is wounded on a mission. Uh, this is in exchange for, you know, serving the god. So he kind of plays as almost like uh, Khonshu's avatar, uh, which, you know, puts him at odds with, you know, the Egyptian deity at times. This is a lot already. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, back to the trailer. Grant is struggling with insomnia. Uh, he must at least be aware that he sleepwalks also because he's got elaborate like system of locks yeah. on his door and he keeps himself tied to the bed. During these scenes, we hear a voiceover from Stephen Grant saying that he can't tell the difference between life and his dreams. Uh, we find out that he lives in London and he works in a museum gift shop. Uh, you know, he's suffering from visions of Moon Knight and Khonshu. Uh, we even see Khonshu stalking him in a hallway, uh, which looked creepy as all fucking hell. Um, there's just a lot of great visuals throughout this trailer. Yes. And I mean, there's a lot of like subtle reflection play that like kind of teases all of you know grant's different personalities 
we see Steven discover an old flip phone. Uh, on the other end of it, there's a woman who calls him Mark, uh, which completely confuses him. Uh, then we see Ethan Hawke, who's playing Arthur Harrow, which is weird because we originally heard that he'd be playing another character, uh, the Sun King. Harrow was in like one comic book ever, but that's neither here nor there because maybe he's playing a blend of both characters. Yeah. Uh, because he does seem to be surrounded by a group that's kind of like worshiping him. Like he gets in the middle and they all drop to their knees, except for Steven who's looking on. Uh, this seems to be part of what we saw in that little teaser trailer from uh, Disney Plus Day, um, where he's fighting a group of thugs that kind of, it all kind of lines up to be the gotcha. same scene. Next, we hear a voiceover of Ethan Hawke's character uh, talking to Steven, saying there's chaos in you. And then we get more scenes of Grant having just a breakdown. Then we go straight montage mode uh, with Steven waking up, driving an ice cream truck, holding a gun, being chased. Uh, then he's falling and then running through maybe a pyramid in the bathroom, like in full uniform. Uh, and then, you know, jumping rooftop to rooftop. Um, overall, I thought this trailer was pretty fucking cool. This is definitely going to be one of the darker offerings from the MCU. And I mean, honestly, to do the character justice, it needs to be. Um, but I'm yes. really looking forward to March 30th, you know, being here sooner than later. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. This trailer alone, in comparison to what we've seen throughout the MCU, just felt like I, it almost felt something I would expect from DC at this point, how dark it is. But man, I can't, I already can't picture anyone else taking on this role other than Oscar Isaacs. I feel like if anyone was like born to do this type of, you know, physicality as well as character work, it's gotta be Oscar Isaacs for this type of role. No, I agree 100%. Um, just the complexity of the characters, especially, you know, since he's suffering with dissociative identity disorder, I'm sure that's what really attracted him to the role. I mean, just that aspect and the fact that like one of those personalities happens to be this dark and gritty superhero was probably just too good of a role for an actor like himself to pass up. I mean, if you think about it, it's really a dream role. For an actor like Oscar Isaacs. Yes. Is it Isaacs or Isaac? I think it's Isaac, but I'm so used to throwing that extra S at the end that I've always said Isaacs. Well, don't <laughs> throw me off, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, phenomenal trailer. And actually, if listeners are looking to get familiar with the character of Moon Knight, I highly recommend uh, checking out Charlie Houston's run on the book in the early 2000s, uh, which has a great uh, artwork from David Finch. It's a wonderful series that really like revitalized, you know, the character for the new millennium. Perhaps I'll have to check it out for our upcoming Patreon content. And while listeners wait with bated breath for, you know, further Patreon announcements, they can also head over to AmazingNerdShow.com, which everyone knows at this point is your nerd hub for all of your pop culture needs. All right, Christian, it's time to go to that galaxy far, far away that we all love and break down chapter four of Book of Boba Fett, The Gathering Storm. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for the Book of Boba Fett series ahead. You have been warned. I was ready to leave hunting behind. People like us don't get to decide when we're finished. 
This week's chapter starts immediately with Boba in the back to tank, our portal to the past as Boba dreams of the events prior to his meeting with Mando. After the unfortunate demise of the Tusken tribe, Boba rides out across the Dune Sea, arriving at Jabba's palace for an unknown reason. Fett claims that the palace is too heavily guarded as he talks to his Bantha, and from there it seems like he plans to sneak in someday. That night, while Boba and the Bantha ate dinner, an unidentified light goes flying across the sky, and Boba goes to investigate it, finding Fennec left for dead in the sand. As we know from Episode 5 of The Mandalorian Season 1, Din Djarin is using flares to blind Fennec, as him and this other character Toro had been you know, hunting her down for her bounty. Toro during this episode actually betrays Mando and shoots Fennec in the stomach, leaving her for dead. Which just leads me to the point of one of my favorite parts about all these shows on Disney Plus is that we're getting to see different perspectives across all these connected properties. No, I agree. I enjoyed seeing how both series lined up at this point, time-wise. And you could really tell by the way the story was tracking that, you know, we were really like building up to this point uh, in the series. Boba, upon finding Finnick, takes her to the nearest clinic, and interestingly enough, it's a mod shop where even more of our colorfully cyberpunk friends get their work done. Inside we meet the Doc, who funny enough is played by one of my personal favorite musicians, Thundercat. And so we get an interesting scene in how modding people works in the Star Wars universe as the Doc switches between using a super battle droid hand to several other droid-like tools as he begins replacing a good portion of Fennec's stomach with all this machinery. I don't know, man. These guys still stick out to me like a sore thumb in this series. <laughs> um, you know, it's cool kind of seeing exactly what took place here and how, like, you know, Boba ended up getting Finnick help. Uh, but at the same time, I'm just not buying this group. This whole idea of modders in, you know, the Star Wars galaxy, I guess, makes sense um, for what we've seen in the past, you know, with you know, their ability with technology to replace limbs and everything like that. Like, I'm not saying like it doesn't make sense mm -hmm. story-wise. It just feels so heavy-handed though, with like this cyberpunk aesthetics. Like it just feels very, I don't know, trendy for Star Wars, which I don't like. It just, again, if we got more time with these characters and maybe an explanation of like, oh, they're trying to escape the harsh conditions of Tatooine mentally and they want to, you know, feel like they're on these planets like Coruscant and stuff like that, that are, you know, more wealthy and more well-rounded, then I, I could I could probably get behind it a little bit more. But when every time we get there and there's like funky music and stuff like that, I, it just feels so out of place for Tatooine. No, I agree. And maybe if they would have introduced the idea or like just the inkling of the idea in like, you know, the Mandalorian or one of the comics and it would have just it would have felt more organic for it to just pop up here. Mm -hmm. But since this is really the first time we're seeing this in like Star Wars, like I said, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. But at the same time, it's not like ruining my enjoyment of the series. Like people are going ballistic about it. It's like, calm the fuck down, people. <laughs> Upon waking up, Fennec is not only surprised to be alive, but surprised to have a robotic center. Fennec assumes that the only reason Boba saved her is for the bounty that's on her head, but is in for even more of a shock as she learns that Boba Fett, like her, somehow survived being left for dead. Boba, after explaining his story, assures Fennec that he is not interested in the bounty. Instead, he asks for her assistance in getting his fire spray gunship, formerly known as the Slave One. I thought this made sense and like it's something I didn't think about like of course he was going
going to want to get his ship back. Like, that's one of the first things mm -hmm. he's going to want to do, so. Fennec, of course, is less than happy about Boba's plan to steal back his ship from Bib Fortuna. I mean, even going as far to ask why doesn't he just simply ask for it, but decides if she is going to help that her debt to him would also be settled as soon as they get the ship back. I was surprised that they didn't really establish if, you know, Finnick and Boba knew each other from the past at all. Um, you know, like, you know, a, really setting up like some kind of backstory between the two of them. Because that's, I, I think, just where I was assuming they were going with the relationship. And while it's definitely like a means to an end, you know, for Boba, but him saving Finnick also seems to be kind of honoring the legacy of the Tusken Raiders and what they did for him, you know, saving him in the desert. No, I agree. It definitely felt in earlier episodes like they might have known each other in the past, but they're definitely not going that route. Like this episode really felt like, yeah, we've met for the very first time. Yeah, and while they didn't outright say they didn't know each other, um, it's, it felt like they knew each other by reputational. At Jabba's palace, Fennec actually uses a droid to scope the place out. Meanwhile, Boba gives his Bantha a heartwarming goodbye as we see his love for the beasts and Star Wars goes way beyond his brand new Rancor. Fennec at this time questions Boba on his plans for, you know, what he's going to do after he gets his ship back. Fett claims he's going to find his armor and take the throne from Bib Fortuna. As the droid returns, the two of them get a good look at what they are dealing with inside the palace. While Boba seems a bit more overwhelmed, Fennec is up for the task, stating that they will go in quietly. Obviously, Boba holds Fennec in high regard that, you know, before he wasn't willing to try to, like, rescue his ship on his own but now that he has like just her by his side uh -huh. like he's like okay that's good enough let's go <laughs> <laughs> breaking in through a sewer pipe fennec and fett find themselves popping up in a kitchen with droids hard at work taking out the two droids with ease even though one was clearly trained in the jedi arts by count dooku we get the first live action appearance of a lep droid from clone wars that proves a bit more tricky to catch but after learning the identity of Boba Fett, decides to turn itself off instead of being destroyed by Fett himself. And we do actually see that droid in Boba's palace uh, in present day. So obviously, you know, recognize the need for a good exterminator. Now, Damon, I have actually been avoiding saying Boba's palace because it just doesn't feel right to me yet. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely like kind of stuck on my tongue there. So uh, <laughs> it always feels like it's going to be Jabba's Palace since it's been that way for me uh -huh. for, you know, almost 40 years. But, you know, it is what it is. It's time to move on, I guess. Continuing on in the palace, stealth kind of quickly flies out the window when our pair runs into some Gamorrean guards. The ensuing fight has Boba struggling to get his gunship in order while Fennec fights off the guards and tries to get the gate open. But of course, the badass that Fennec is takes out the gate's counterweights Matrix Revolution style and the gate simply springs open just in the nick of time. But now with her debt paid, Fennec still decides to ride along with Boba as he still has some scores to settle. I thought this was a tremendous scene. Uh, once again, Fennec is kind of like carrying the load when it comes to all the action in this series. Yes. But honestly, <laughs> like I don't mind it at this point because it's really showing like how formidable, you know, she is, you know, as a bounty hunter. But with that being said, I do want to see Boba get his like hands dirty. 
you know, in these next like coming episodes. Here we get a quick moment where Boba's gunship is primed and ready to destroy, quickly ripping through the Kintan Riders that slaughtered the Tusken Raiders. Now for me personally, I would have preferred to see like Boba like tear these guys limb for limb, you know, with his bare hands. Um, I did kind of, you know, pop, you know, seeing him chase these guys down and rip uh -huh. through them with, you know, his laser cannons. So, um, and I think Finnick kind of alludes to it that they're probably not the ones solely behind the Tusken Raider Act. You know, my suspicions is that it was the Pikes. And I think Boba probably knows that, and that might be one of the reasons why he wants to become, like, you know, the crime boss of Tatooine. No, that makes sense. I guess just in this scene, I was hoping for a little bit more, as you said, him like tearing them apart. Because I mean, this is like his second family being ripped out of his life. And I was like, oh, he's he's gonna get some rage. He's gonna be, he's gonna shoot him down. Then he's gonna go back to the remains and start punching or something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> the, the remains of the, the, the Tusken Raiders? <laughs> No, no, like the, the Kintan okay, writers, gotcha. whatever they are. It's like, what? What's happening here? <laughs> Remind me to stay out of your way if you're fucking ever mourning someone. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> no, I agree, you know, and I'm sure it was therapeutic for him to, you know, mow them down with his ship. But mm -hmm. at the same time, like he knows that they were just puppets, you know, for the Pike Syndicate. Mm -hmm. Boba then either having been too out of it to realize what was going on or simply not remembering that the Jawas took his armor, flies back to the Sarlacc pit from the start of the show in hopes to find his Beskar. In an attempt to get as close as possible to the Sarlacc pit and see inside its guts, the Sarlacc actually attaches itself to the gunship trying to pull the ship down into its mouth. Both Boba and Fennec panic in this situation until Fennec is able to release one of the ship's classic sonic charges right into the mouth of the Sarlacc, effectively killing it. Which, there are only two sounds in Star Wars I love the most, which is the scream of the TIE Interceptor and the sonic I charge. I was going to say the same thing. I love the sound this thing makes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I love this scene. I mean, this whole episode, besides setting up the relationship between Boba and Finnick, is really Boba's revenge, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, fuck the Sarlacc pit and fuck the, what, Tin Tin Riders? What are they called? Tin <laughs> Tin Riders? 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 Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, fuck those guys. For some reason, Boba, without his armor, dares to climb into the Sarlacc pit to find his missing garb, but in the process suffers severe burns from the Sarlacc's stomach acid, which prompts Fennec to suggest he needs a Bacta tank to heal his wounds. And clearly that is what he ends up doing as we've been seeing him lay in it all season long. I'm glad we got an explanation on why he needs these like Bacta dips, um, you know, throughout the first couple, you know, episodes. Uh, and it just shows you, like, how much he really values his armor, that he's willing to, like, you know, dive headfirst into the Sarlacc pit, you know, to retrieve it. Fennec again questions Boba on his desire to form a crime family of his own. Boba believes it's time people like them, the bounty hunters, take control instead of working for these syndicates that get them killed. In admiration of Fennec's talents, he offers her a position in his family and claims that he will protect her as long as she protects him. I like this insight a lot. I mean, it really shows growth uh, for his character, um, you know, because it almost sounded like even before 
you know, the events of the series that he might have been getting tired of, you know, bounty hunting. And it makes sense considering how long he's been doing it for. I mean, since he was a young boy, honestly. So of course he's gonna crave wanting to make decisions on his own and, you know, for that power. Because of course, you know, I mean, he's been an independent contractor, but he's been taking orders for years and probably working for more idiots than just the Huts. And after taking orders from Vader and Jabba the Hutt, I don't blame him for wanting nah, to Nah, right. <laughs> also, this whole conversation seemed to be opening up the door uh, for us to see some familiar faces, you know, from his b bounty hunting past. Perhaps maybe Boskin crew. You really want it, this to happen. It's going to happen, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> if not this season, next season. Because he said it's time for the bounty hunters to take control, damn it. Yes, yes. You'll pop if you see Dengar. I know you will. Aww. Bandages and all. <laughs> Returning to the present, Boba comes out of the back to tank officially 100% healed. Honestly, I could probably use one of those at home in my life. But now with Boba at 100%, that should probably end all the flashback portion of this show. Even though there's still plenty more to deal with as the mayor is still missing and a war is on the horizon. Boba decides to suit up and hit the streets as a sign of strength in these turbulent times. Also with him being 100% healed now, I'm hoping that means we're going to see him return to form from what we saw in The Mandalorian, where he seems like a force of nature and going like full on John Wick. We return to Flip's Cantina and Casino to find Black Chrysanthemum drinking and angrily watching customers simply having a good time. Eventually, these Trandoshans cheers of victory during a game of, you know, space blackjack, it looks like, gets to be a bit too much for Black Chrysanthemum, and he decides to simply beat their asses. Flip interjects, speaking to the troubles of our Wookiee warrior hoping to stop his assault on her patrons, and even though it seems like she successfully calms him down, he still decides to rip one of their arms off before heading out. Which definitely makes our dismemberment quota for Book of Boba Fett. And then Boba, who had just come by to see how things were going, ends up leaving, falling Chrysanthemum out to offer him a job. Well, speaking of Bosk, uh, apparently Trandoshans and Wookiees have a long-standing, like, rivalry. Um and Black Chrysanthemum especially hates them. So I wasn't surprised by this scene. Uh, but once again, this makes me really hope that Bosk shows up. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. Uh, you know, just to see, even if he's on the other side of the fence, you know, just to kind of see like a feud kind of develop between the two. I believe that already existed in the comics, but it, it doesn't feel like those books are necessarily in continuity. Because, you know, in those comics, I think we talked about this before, Fett and Chrysanthemum have a history together, but that's not acknowledged here at all. I mean, you could argue that they weren't friends, they were just working together, so maybe, you know, I don't know, but it it definitely feels like they haven't met too much before. Yeah, I mean, it's not outright said, just like, you know, with Finnick and, you know, Fett, but definitely one yes. of my favorite scenes of this episode. Um, you know, I popped huge when the arm hit the floor. Uh, and I was heavily rooting for Kersantin not to listen to Jessica Biel's character. What the hell's her name again? Flip, Whip or I, something? Flip. I'm never going to get used to something. saying that. So. G. <laughs> She's just going to be flash dance Jessica Biel. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm also glad they didn't waste a lot of time with Kersantin, uh joining 
Boba's crew. Mm -hmm. Back at the palace, Boba has gathered the crime families of Mos Espa. They are definitely all less than respectful of Boba's reign as the new Daimo, but Boba still approaches them with a request to either aid in his fight against the Pikes or simply stay neutral and not aid the Pikes no matter what they bribe. When challenged by the families on why they should even accept his claim to the throne and not kill him, they all get a shock when Boba's new Rancor attempts to claw through a gate below them, and in the end, with nothing really to lose, the families unite in deciding they will remain neutral in the upcoming war. This was a true boss move. Yes on Boba's part. <laughs> I love this scene. And I love that this series is one part Western, one part like mafia film. Yes. <laughs> it really is give me everything that I want and more. As the families leave, Fennec seems doubtful of their loyalty, but Boba reassures that while he doesn't trust them, his deal still seems to be the better option compared to the greed of the Pikes, as it would be foolish to think that they would stop with just Boba. Fett, though, is still more concerned with the numbers as they are still short on men even after bringing in Black Chrysanthemum, but Fennec reminds him that you can find good help if you have the credits, and the whistling sounds of the Mandalorian's theme plays in the background, bringing our episode to a close. So I won't lie, I got chills here. I honestly wasn't expecting a Din Djurin, like appearance at all in this series. It just felt like they've got like too much going on, but it does kind of line up and make sense uh, since they just worked with him. Um, I wouldn't be surprised too, like once again, to see other bounty hunters, but also like maybe even like uh, Bill Burr's character um, from The Mandalorian. Uh, he's a huge fan favorite. Why not bring him back? We know that, you know, Finnick knows of him at mm -hmm. least and, you know, Din Djurin. So uh, we could possibly see him also. Uh, that's just, you know, obviously speculation and probably wishful thinking on my part, but... <laughs> I could totally picture them going not as only as far as Mando, but actually doing what you said and bringing in people like Bosk and maybe IG-88 and other characters that could possibly have been former bounty hunter workers with Boba. And Boba said in this episode, you know, his endgame is really to kind of, you know, start his own family, his own tribe. So why not reach out to the people he's most familiar with and he knows he could maybe trust? And this might be more wishful thinking on my part, but wouldn't it be cool if he reached out to his sister Omega? It would. If she's still around. <laughs> we have no idea if they've ever interacted yet, so I'd be excited to see uh, Omega show up out of nowhere. That'd be a great twist. I I'm guessing, though, that's probably going to play out first, uh during like maybe the second season of the Bad Batch, mm. which we did find out is going to premiere sometime in the spring this year. But anyway, I've been happy with this season so far. We're just now over halfway through it. And I mean, with three episodes left, I've enjoyed the pace of each episode myself. I just think I like this format where it kind of comes to a close each episode. I think you were talking off mic that it, it does just kind of end, which it I get it, but at the same time, I like the more contained stories per episode that we're getting. And it's also doing a lot to build into this family dynamic that we've seen from Boba throughout this season as well, where he you know, lost his father and we've seen glimpses of that in the past and why he might want to like try and build something even more after spending time with the Tusken Raiders. I've just enjoyed the story that they're building up. No, I agree for the most part. Um, I thought last episode was a little rocky, mm. um, but this episode was a return to form. Uh, you know, when it comes to like the way the episodes end, 
Um, this was the first one that felt like had a proper natural ending to it, gotcha. where the other ones just felt like they turned off the camera or they ran out of film. <laughs> um, so they just kind of, I don't know, it, it, it felt like they were ending almost flat. And that just might be a case of me being used to, you know, weekly episodic TV where they end on kind of this like cliffhanger, you know, to make sure that you're going to, you know, come back next week. Um, while, you know, John Favreau and crew know that we're all hooked on this shit, so they don't need to do that. And that's fine storytelling wise. Because if you think about it, I mean, each episode is labeled a different chapter, and that's really how a chapter of a book, you know, ends. You know, not every chapter needs to end on this, like, high note to guarantee that you're going to turn the page, you know, to the next chapter. So it is more of a natural flow, I guess. It just takes some time to get used to. Mm -hmm. But all right, make sure you guys tune in next week for chapter five of Book of Boba as we continue our breakdowns of the series. This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Manscaped. Cheers to 2022 and resolutions you can actually keep. How about having clean and shiny balls all year round? Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to save your balls this year and make the ball drop into 2022 the cleanest and sexiest ever. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code 20AMAZING for 20% off plus free shipping. Start off 2022 right by rocking your package high and tight. Let all past regrets go along with your pubes as that countdown clock strikes midnight. It's New Year, New Me with global leaders in below the waist grooming. This year, take your package to the next level with their Performance Package 4.0 and brand new Ultra Premium Body Wash. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the Signature Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin. The advanced skin safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate nuts. It also comes equipped with a 4000K LED spotlight that will shine a light to the promised land that 2022 looks to be. A grooming routine isn't complete without applying the Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver before showing off your 2022 self. These unique formulations take care of the smelliest part of your body and are a big boost to your confidence into the new year. To complete the set, Manscaped threw in their Shed Travel and Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs as a free gift to keep all your goodies stored comfortably. And the new product that needs no introduction, the Ultra Premium Body Wash from Manscaped solves all three for the perfect addition to your daily grooming routine. But in the shower, I shower every day and hope you do too. This body wash smells great too. It's cologne infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean, nice, and moisturized. Kick discomfort and poor hygiene to the curb this year and use the best tools for the job. Whether your resolution is to work out more or travel to new places, be sure to travel to manscaped.com for our exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20AMAZING. Cheers to new balls in 2022. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com and use our code 20amazing. It's new year, no pubes in 2022 with Manscaped. And now it's time for a special edition of Christian's Corner. Yeah! 
current year in gaming is already shaping out to be a massive one with tons of great releases. So I wanted to bring you all my list of most anticipated games of the year. Of course, with this being my opinion, I won't have every game you're looking forward to on this list. And because I don't play Switch, most of my list won't include Switch titles, but I will let you know if it is available on the Switch. And like our most anticipated movies list, I'm also going to be going in order of release date. So games that don't have a release date will come after all that. But anyways, after you're done listening, make sure to comment or message us your most anticipated game of the year on social media or over on AmazingNerdShow.com. And now for Christian's most anticipated games of 2022, God of War PC Edition, January 14th. You do not know everything, boy. No. But at least I know the truth now. The road ahead is long and unforgiving. Place for a boy. You must be a warrior. Developed by Santa Monica Studios, coming to the PC for the very first time ever, God of War's soft reboot was an instant classic when it came out in 2018, and I genuinely could not put it down. Having been a fan of the franchise for a while and getting an entry that seemed to mature with me while also giving me that you know brutal action that we know the franchise for was an amazing experience. Now, getting to try it all over again on PC with an Xbox controller is probably going to be the biggest head trip ever, but if there was ever a game worth a second playthrough, God of War is definitely it. And I'm sure before its sequel, I will try out the PC edition. Dying Light 2, February 4th. Developed by Techland, this game will be available for both current and last-gen consoles, as well as PC. Having spent all horror month playing the first game after being, you know, pretty curious about this franchise, actually ended up making me more excited for the sequel. While early players have taken notes that the free-running could use a tune-up, I am still very impressed by what they have shown off of this game. From what I gather, there is just so much freedom in this title and allows for so much creativity in your kills and how you play the game. Honestly, when I was playing the first one, I had no idea what I was getting into when I played it, as I did not understand how much freedom the game was actually giving me. But alas, the sequel looks to upgrade all of this with even more world-affecting story and customization. Next Shifu, February 8th. Kung Fu, or Kung Fu, means mastery through practice. But is one life enough to know Kung Fu? In Sifu, we wanted players to experience training and self-improvement. To convey that, We've made death part of the journey. Developed by Slow Clap, this title is coming to PC, PS4, and PS5. We have been covering Sifu for a bit on the show because it looks so damn unique and fun. You can tell that they put a lot into this gameplay as it's a kung fu style of game and you really should you know, try to capture that feeling of being a badass. And what I can tell from people's playtests so far is that Slow Clap may have actually achieved that. Also, the aging element and how you get upgrades will lead to some interesting playthroughs. I heard you can't wait for someone to get that perfect no death run in the game. I'll be watching that as soon as it's uploaded. Because you all know it sure as hell won't be me. <laughs> Horizon Forbidden West, February 18th. I'm running out of time, Elizabeth. The land is dying. People are suffering. Soon. They'll starve. And the machines meant to help us are out of control. I have to find a way to fix it all. 
And the answer is somewhere out in the Forbidden West. Developed by Guerrilla Games, this PlayStation exclusive is high up there for me as a as I was a big fan of the first game. However, I never completed it. I know, shame on me, but it came but it came out during a busier time in my life. Though after seeing the gameplay for the sequel, I am already reinvested in this franchise. Sony has been winning gamers over with their ability to release incredible narrative-driven single-player games, and Horizon is a shining beacon among those titles. The gameplay preview absolutely blew me away, but I want to wait until I personally have a PS5 to jump into Forbidden West, so I may be holding off until the summer or so when I actually have one of those damn consoles. But that's just the plan for right now. I'll also definitely be completing the first game before as well on stream. Grid Legends February 25th Dozens of drivers, only one can become champion. Developed by Codemasters, Grid returns to all current gen and last gen consoles, as well as PC. As a driving game fan, I actually feel like I can say that I didn't get into sim-like racing games until I tried the very first Grid. The gameplay was so addictive in its crashing and control of the vehicle, but unfortunately Grid failed to keep that same feel in its sequels. However, Grid Legends brings a new story element as well as gameplay that reminds me more of the realism of the first Grid. The game promises a more unique AI this time around, giving you new challenges to overcome as a driver, and I look forward to once again giving Grid a try. Elden Ring, February 25th. The shattering ensued a war that wrought only darkness. The Elden Ring was broken. But by whom? And why? From Software's latest game is coming to all current and last-gen consoles along with PC. I am a massive Dark Souls fan and when I heard George R.R. Martin was teaming up with From Software uh, to make an open-world title, I was how the kids would say, you know, shooketh. <laughs> Already with the gameplay that they put out, we can see the lore building of Martin at work adding more intrigue to the already mystifying tales From Software produces. And with an absolutely massive map to get lost in, I'm excited for what looks like the culmination of all of From Software's works up until this point. Forspoken, May 24. Okay, so let me get this straight. I'm somewhere that's not what I would call Earth. I'm seeing freaking dragons, and oh yeah, I'm talking to a cop. Did I just do that? We did. I just moved shit with my freaking mind. Developed by Luminous Productions, this title is not only coming to PS5, but PC as well, which I actually didn't realize and makes me more excited as I thought I'd have to wait to, you know, buy a PS5 to actually play this. Back during the Game Awards, we got another big look, and I am definitely interested in this title. I feel like the story hasn't hooked me yet, but the gameplay looks awesome and our main character's abilities look fun as hell. But again, I am a sucker for fantasy and magic ability, so, you know, there it is. Saints Row, August 23rd. Hey! Asshole! Get the fuck away from my friends. <laughs> 
Deep Silver returns with its always rambunctious Saints. Coming to current and last-gen consoles plus PC, Saints Row looks to reboot the franchise after having taken it a bit too wild in the past few titles. I personally am happy they are going back to formula a bit with this entry because I was much more of a fan of the gangster life in 1 and 2 rather than the president in cyberspace shit in the later games. All in all, this franchise is known for its sandbox gameplay of absolute chaos and we will see if they are able to recapture the fun of the originals while also giving us something new. Starfield, November 11th. They say, the wonder is, not that the field of stars is so vast, but that we have measured it. You're part of Constellation now, part of our family. What you found, it's the key to unlocking Bethesda's latest arrival comes to Xbox and PC, and even without gameplay, I may already be a little too hyped for this. While I was a fan of Outer Worlds, I feel like Starfield is going to deliver on the space fantasy game we have been kind of looking for on a much bigger scale. After all, they're calling it Skyrim in space. Now, I am no stranger to Bethesda releases, so I know it will come out buggy, but I'm hoping that they've you know, learned from what they did with Fallout 74 on you know giving the players what they actually want. And of course, if they don't deliver enough, the modding community is always there for Bethesda titles, which makes their games playable for generations, because damn it, I'm still playing Skyrim to this day thanks to all of your guys' missions. And now for games without official release dates. Evil Dead, the game. Hola, cyber friends. I'm Bruce Campbell. You know me as Ash Williams, the dude who saved the world from evil. I'm here to bring you the lowdown on the upcoming Evil Dead, the game. Developer Saber Interactive brings Evil Dead to the gaming sphere with a title available on all consoles, including Switch and PC. This game looks like a better polished clone of the recent Friday the 13th games, where you can either play as the teens in Ash or be a dick as the game likes to say and play as the Deadites. If this game is anything like Friday the 13th or even Dead by Daylight, it will be joining a winning formula of horror multiplayer games that I am sure will be addicting and fun to play live on stream. Marvel's Midnight Suns. Now our nightmares have come for us. And she must awaken! Developed by FireAxis Games is the next big Marvel game that's coming to all consoles including Switch and PC. This tactical role-playing game will have you teaming up with characters across multiple Marvel teams and should make for a different experience in that its style is much different than anything we've been getting from Square Enix. I think the main thing that I look at as kind of a negative would be that, that you're playing as a new character to the Marvel Universe and while that's set up to be you know immersive and bring you into the story, I often find characters like this when you know thrown into an already established world tend to be on the more generic side, but I'm hoping for the best as this is a pretty cool team to get to play with. Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga A hero rises up to save the galaxy. Relive the epic story of all nine films in the biggest LEGO video game yet with LEGO Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. TT Games is bringing you all nine Star Wars films LEGO-wise for their biggest Star Wars game yet. 
coming to all consoles including Switch and PC, the Star Wars LEGO games have been the best of all LEGO games and beloved by children and adults alike. It's been a while since I've touched a LEGO game, but I feel like playing through the entire franchise of Star Wars could entice me enough to get back into Star Wars LEGOs, and maybe motivate me enough to finish my Millennium Falcon in real life as well, but who am I kidding? Ghostfire Tokyo There remains work yet undone Critical work People always decry the truth When forced to face it Developed by Tango Gameworks and coming to PC and PS5, this game looks like an occult leader started the rapture in Tokyo, and I'm absolutely loving the game design. Capturing that, you know, neon look of Tokyo, even in the ability of the main character, makes for a stunningly beautiful horror game, and I can't wait to get my hands on it, hopefully this year. Redfall. Arcane Studios' open-world co-op game comes after the massive success of Deathloop and will be available on PC and Xbox. Arcane's gameplay is always their selling point for me, even not being you know that big of a fan of the Dishonored franchise, I can't lie and say that I didn't enjoy at least the feel of that game. And getting to share that kind of experience with friends will hopefully only elevate the game, though you can play single player as well, which is good for me because I like playing single player personally. Plus, how can vampire slaying not be fun in general? I look forward to seeing more as we get closer to its release. God of War Ragnarok. You seem like a calm and reasonable person. Are you a calm and reasonable person? PlayStation's biggest title of the year, if you ask me, comes to PS4 and PS5. Developed, of course, by Santa Monica Studios, will be the conclusion to this arc in Kratos' life. Doing away with that, you know, trilogy format most of us were expecting, but I trust Santa Monica enough to believe that they will give us, you know, a satisfying end to these two games. The first of these new entries into the franchise was absolutely amazing, as I said earlier, and getting to see who Kratos' son will, you know, turn into will be a journey worth playing. Gotham Knights. Because they're always watching, always listening, pulling everybody's strings, mine, yours, but no one talks about them, not a whispered word is said. The Court of Owls is a myth. <laughs> they're listening. WB Games Montreal picks up the Arkhamverse for current and last-gen consoles plus PC. This time we're joining the Bat family in their adventures as there is a massive hole now without Batman being around. While I haven't been into the co-op aspect of this game that they've shown off too much, the game can still be played solo and looks like it captures the feel of those fantastic Arkham games in the past. And I mean, the gameplay of Batgirl going after Mr. Freeze alone got me excited for it, though the prospects of the Trials of the Court of Owls definitely makes me want to pick this up day one. The Outlast Trials
Speaking of Trials, developer Red Barrels is back with another horrifying entry in the Outlast series. Coming out on PC only though, this time around we're going back to play as some of the experiments that they were having. And with only images of some of the baddies we will be trying to survive encounters with, I can only assume this game will be as scary if not more as we dive into more of the lore of this universe. Suicide Squad kills the Justice League. All of you are the worst of the worst of the worst. Still, you're good at what you do. Even if what you do is far from good. Welcome to Task Force X. Coming from the original team behind the Arkham games, Rocksteady Studios brings this title to current-gen consoles and PC, with Harley Quinn, Deadshot, Boomerang, and King Shark on duty for another of Amanda Waller's crazy missions, you will have to do the impossible and kill the Justice League. The premise itself had me perk up, and the gameplay reminded me a bit of the Guardians of the Galaxy, funny enough. But this time around, you'll be able to hop into any character, and similar to the Gotham Knights game coming out this year, it can also be played in solo or co-op mode. And having enjoyed all the previous Arkham games, I am highly anticipating this one as well. Hogwarts Legacy. Here you will meet lifelong friends and grow into your own magical abilities in the classrooms of the world's most talented professors. Well, no matter how you feel about the franchise, I know that I personally have been waiting for an experience like this to come out of the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Avalanche Software brings this open world game to all consoles as well as PC. Getting to play a Harry Potter RPG sounds extremely exciting for me. I think there's a lot of potential there. I just hope that, you know, it's as expansive in allowing you, you know, the freedom of play as it probably should be. Because there really is just so many ways you can take this type of game, you know, different types of things you can learn through potions, spells, all different types of things in the magic world that would really be cool to actually be able to roleplay as. Especially since this game is during a time period that few know anything about. Replaced. Developed by Sad Cat Studios, this game will be heading to Xbox and PC only. This is one that wasn't typical of the games that I usually like to play, however the aesthetic and creative art absolutely grabbed my attention during its E3 reveal. Being a big noir, you know, cyberpunk style fan, this game looks to hit all the right beats and really looks like a masterclass in using the space in a 2D side scroller, though they're calling it a 2.5D. If you haven't checked out the trailer for this yet, I highly recommend that you look into this game. But that does it for my list. Again, if there's any games that you're super excited for and then you think I should check out, let us know over on social media or of course at AmazingNerdShow.com. But in his absence, in the void that CM Punk left behind, somebody did do each and every one of those things. I did them. I carried every ounce of anti-monopoly sentiment on my shoulders. I held every grain of the revolution in my hand. And each and every one of you cheered. You want to ask why I won't turn heel? It's because you cheered me when I needed the most. When it says there is more than one royal family in wrestling, I am talking about me and all of us. 
All right, Christian, it's been a while since we talked some wrestling, uh, but I figured we could go ahead and just talk some AEW highlights from this past week's Dynamite. Hit me with them, because I haven't been keeping up the way I should have been. <laughs> well, you said you had DVR problems, right, with the channel change? Yeah, when they changed the channel, I set it to record the first episode, and I thought, oh, it'll, it'll just do it weekly, but I guess I didn't set it up properly, so I haven't been getting all my recordings. I've given you a very disappointed look christian if they if they do <laughs> awful in the ratings this week we know who to blame oh man <laughs> all right well so the show started off with uh moxley returning which was you know huge news it was a great fucking promo even with the stack roster aw has been missing something without him uh i'm interested i'm interested to see like where he's headed in the future as a character because it definitely felt like he was on his way to like a heel turn before he left. I think they'll probably have to delay that a bit, but like, honestly, all I want right now for him is just, you know, to be healthy. So, but I mean, it was great mm -hmm. to see him back. I mean, he told the fan to go fuck himself <laughs> live on air is literally trending yes. right now. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm sure he'll get away with it because he's John Moxley. Uh, uh, you know, he ended the promo with a great line of, you know, now the only thing I drink is blood. So <laughs> <laughs> just awesome. And I, I really wouldn't be surprised to see him in the world title picture sooner than later. Speaking of which, uh, we had more from the uh, Murder Hawk uh, hangman feud that's you know just starting right now i don't know if you're kind of caught up on yeah that. i've seen him do the damage to hangman already yeah lance archer made his return while dan lambert was cutting a promo on hangman it seemed like you know archer was going to confront lambert again which he's been doing you know before he was injured uh but instead he jumped hangman uh with lambert you know coaching him on i don't know like i'm not feeling this yet uh you know, definitely feels like more of a mid-card feud just because of the way they've been utilizing Archer. Uh, mm. So they just have a lot of work to do still. I mean, just like to rehabilitate his image, if that makes sense. Because, I mean, we just haven't seen Archer ever win like a big match, it feels like. And he keeps on getting like these title opportunities. <laughs> and I'm not even sure how he's like in the top five contendership wise. So, um, I don't know. And like tonight they had him go like, I think, over 10 minutes against Frankie Kazarian, which I mean, that's just not going to cut it. That's not going to sell me on him being like a worthy contender for your world mm. championship. Because, I mean, when was the last time we saw Frankie on the screen? Exactly. I was wondering that when uh, I saw the reports that he was wrestling him. It's like, uh, I, I'm like, what's the last thing I remember Frankie doing? You know, he was the elite hunter. And I don't know where it went I from there. I think he wrestled Christian and had a really good match. But that was months ago, right? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I'm sure he's been on, you know, dark and elevation. But, you know, I mean to other fans out there who like are more casual fans frankie is just kind of like a lower mid-card guy so the fact that you know archer i mean he dominated him but it shouldn't take 10 minutes for him to beat him mm -hmm. so especially if he's going to be the next guy to challenge for your world title no i absolutely agree i feel like lance archer i mean the last time we saw him have a big win was for that new japan pro wrestling u.s title and he immediately lost that as soon as he went over to the new japan that's show. right 
I forgot all about that, honestly. uh So I just wish they would have taken their time to build him up back again, you Mm -hmm. know, and make him this dominant, like, heel force in AEW. So he felt more of a worthy contender because this just feels like out of nowhere and kind of like booking just out of like convenience. Like, oh, we need a believable heel to go against Hangman right now. Let's go ahead and dust off Archer. So, I mean, that's what it really feels like. And it's just going to be kind of a program that I'm not going to be invested in because it feels like there's no way that Archer's winning that title at this point. Mm -hmm. So, and that's honestly how I feel every time he challenges for the belt. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's just kind of like that title program that's like treading water, you know, until like the next big program. He's just a placeholder, honestly. I'm sure he'll surprise us one day. They'll give us a big like swerve where he wins the world title. And it's not it's not his fault. It's just the way he's being booked, honestly. Another highlight was definitely uh, the House of Black in action. Uh, last week, we had Brody King finally debut on Dynamite. Uh, he made a huge impact. He looked fucking fantastic out there. Truly terrifying. But yeah, as a team, Alistair and Brody, I mean, obviously, they've won titles elsewhere. Um, So they've worked before, but I mean, they're just tremendous. I mean, the teamwork and everything, they're so fluid. They're intimidating as all hell in the ring. Um, And they just mowed through the varsity blondes. And they even did a spot where Pillman looked Mm -hmm. scared, like (laughs) a Brody King. And he kind of hesitated and got destroyed because of that. So, and I don't know if they're kind of like teasing that, like the House of Black is, I don't know brainwashing Pillman somehow. And we kind of talked about that, you know, in past episodes, like maybe Pillman eventually joins the house of black. I could definitely see mm-hmm. that um, after, you know, tonight. I don't know if you caught the segment last week with Brody King debuting. I've seen it. Yes. Okay. You, you saw Julia Hart rocking the uh, eye patch. Yes. And also kind yeah. of wearing more black in general and kind of begging off uh-huh. everyone from attacking Alistair at one point, it seemed like. Did you catch that? Mm-hmm. Well, tonight she was wearing the eye patch again. She had a little more color on, though. She was wearing, you know, <laughs> it wasn't so obvious, but yeah, she was rocking the eye patch again. I totally could see her, like, you know, taking the eye patch off and, uh, you know, rocking some makeup or something like that, you know, to show her alliance, you know, allegiance with, you know, House of Black. That feels like it's going to happen. Um, there, it looks like going to be feuding with Pac. Um, he cut a promo last week that had everyone speculating that maybe he was joining the House of Black. That doesn't seem to be the case. Um, it seems like it's more about, you know, feuding with the House of Black. He popped up on the screen after their match and kind of alluded, you know, that maybe people thought he was joining, but, you know, he's here to challenge, you know, the like, I don't know what he said, like False King or something. I'm paraphrasing. Showing off that the mist hasn't affected him um, the way that, you know, it has others. So that he's healed now. Although I do feel like he'd be a perfect fit, you know, to join that group. Yes. I'm wondering how big of a faction they're willing to go with this. Like how how big of a like spread do they want this infection of black to go? I mean, for me, I wouldn't go more than like four or five deep. I think it's always good to have like a couple like single competitors and like a tag team. When you when you have a faction, you don't want to go too deep where they start like losing their uniqueness and they get lost in the shuffle and just become like glorified, you know, stooges, basically. 
Also, this week we had Punk versus Sean Spears. Um, I thought they did a pretty good job of getting like some steam back under Punk uh, and MJF uh, because I did like question having Punk look so weak before his big showdown with MGF last week where he got just dismantled by Wardlow. I mean, like, I know you're building Wardlow, but like, I don't know, one thing at a time, you know, <laughs> let's focus on his feud with, you know, MGF. And then I feel like we could slowly build Wardlow in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like Tony was trying to have his cake and eat it too. And it was just too much all at once. Like, I'm not opposed to Wardlow dominating Punk for a match, but I don't know. It just, it felt like it hurt MJF and Punk's feud by doing that. And I really just wanted to see more of Wardlow versus MJF than I did Punk versus MJF afterwards. Um, Because they're kind of building both programs at the same time. But with that being said, they had Punk get in the ring and basically, basically beat Sean Spears in maybe five seconds. So <laughs> they did a good job of rebounding, you know, here and making Punk look dangerous still. Uh, they had uh, MJF get in the ring after the match and try to jump Punk from behind. Punk got in his face. MJF kind of begged off. Punk ended up just with MJF's scarf and just mocking him. I'm interested to see how long they can kind of stretch out this feud without MJF and Punk having a match, um, you know, one-on-one. Uh, you know, Punk's already gone through FTR. I mean, yeah, it was in a, like a six man tag. I guess you could have him like, you know, fight them individually. Mm-hmm. But at this point, he's wrestled Wardlow. He's wrestled Sean Spears. So it feels like, OK, now you've you know, it's time for the final boss. <laughs> so but you don't have that pay-per-view until March, early yeah. March. So and that's over a month away. Yes. So maybe they do the match before then. It's some, you know, maybe they have some kind of special. I know this coming week is beach break. They're not doing it there, but who knows? I mean, AEW pulls out, you know, special dynamites left and right out of their asses. So I'm, I'm sure Tony has another one up his sleeve. It'd be one of those like Saturday shows and they could just run the whole hour with just those two. The problem is those Saturday shows are supposed to be like clash of the champion shows. So oh, okay. I don't, I don't know if that necessarily works. You, you can can't break. Here. You can't. Not, not on like the second one. <laughs> and they only get four a year, I believe. And since the last one was just a couple weeks ago, I doubt they have one planned for, you know, that soon after. Gotcha. I think the last thing of note, you know, on this episode of Dynamite, uh, and it, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was a great show, but we're not going to do a match for match breakdown or anything this week. Uh, we just don't have the energy. Uh, but uh, Cody's big return after uh, his whole two-week sabbatical. Um, it had a lot of buzz because of all the rumors swirling right now around uh-huh. him. Since it broke that, you know, he's technically a free agent and he hasn't signed AEW or re-signed an AEW contract. Um People have him, you know, showing up at the Royal Rumble. Uh, people have him, like, you know, returning to WWE as Stardust. <laughs> uh, just a lot of ridiculous bullshit and just nonsense. I mean, there's no way Tony Khan would have him on a live episode of Dynamite if they didn't have some kind of agreement 
you know, in the works right now. So there, he has to trust that he is re-signing with the company because why wouldn't he? I mean, he literally has like two different TV shows going on, you know, over at Turner right now. And, you know, he's a fucking EVP. So exactly. I mean, whatever. It sounds like it was more due to like a technicality. Like he wasn't there to actually physically sign the contract at the time so um but regardless they played it up a little you know trying to capture on that like buzz which i get uh the promo was all over the place kind of um at first it was very heelish um great delivery great passion uh but they're just really trying to play up the contract situation uh it was kind of his own version of the pipe bomb and you know he started to make comparisons to the pipe bomb and everything and talking about like how important that was for the industry. But then like he went through the list of everything that punk talked about. And then he, you know, pointed out and it was a valid point that, you know, he did most of that list. And I think that's what I really liked about it was, you know, what he said, at least when it came to that, you know, punk portion, you know, it was mostly true as rooted in truth and reality. And I don't think he gets a lot of credit for AEW success just because a lot of fans aren't too high on him right mm-hmm. now. So, um, you know, I think people need to give credit where credits do. Um, I still feel like he needs to turn heel. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, the way he stirred off the promo, I mean, it really did feel that way. Like he started talking about the young bucks you know, trying to reignite the Wednesday Night Wars by, you know, uh, feuding with developmental talents, talking about Red Dragon. Like, I was like, Jesus Christ, why? <laughs> Taking shots on guys that you're not even, like, in a program with. He went on to make fun of uh, Walter's name change, which I'm sure you've seen in the yes. news. Um, he's going by uh, Gunther right yeah, now. Gunther Stark. Gunther, yes, who... <laughs> He's apparently named after some former Nazi, like some famous Nazi soldier, which, god damn it, WWE, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> but we're definitely not here to talk about NXT 2.0, so, I mean, it is what it is, I guess. But while this promo was going on, there was a giant ladder in the background. Uh, at the end, he ended up climbing up it, and, you know, he challenged Sammy you know, for a TNT title uh, match since, you know, Sammy's technically the interim champion, which I don't even understand what the point of that was. I didn't get it either. It was like, he's going to be back in two weeks. Why do you need an interim, like, champion? But (laughs) it just felt like we didn't know what to do. They were caught with, you know, their pants kind of down because... You know, they booked a title, you know, match, um, basically their main event for their night of champions. And then, you know, obviously due to medical reasons, um, you know, they couldn't deliver on that match. So they scrambled and just made such a strange choice of having Sammy and Goldust face off for interim title, which I, I mean, it happens in like the UFC but that's usually when, like, a fighter's out for, like, months and can't defend the title. Like, not mm. for two weeks. Like, yeah. you know? And then, like, why is Goldust the one getting the shot at this belt? Like, how is he ranked? 
Like, I mean, I, it just feels like the rankings on AW right now are, are just kind of a joke and all over the place. They really need to kind of streamline it and, like, I don't know, like, give the fans some kind of explanation of, like, how this all works. Because it feels like they book themselves in a corner when they, you know, do things like this. Because you have a top five for a reason, but you don't always use or honor that mm. top five. It's just hard to, like, suspend, you know, disbelief when <laughs> you pull shit like this. So it's like either commit to it or don't, you know? Shit or get off the pot. <laughs> because I love the concept, but I don't feel like they always stay true to it. But regardless, next week on, you know, another AEW special, Beach Break, uh, which I think is coming from, like, Ohio, which makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Because I don't feel like Ohio. Is it Ohio or Iowa? One of the two. They're definitely not known for their beaches. Yeah, either way. Regardless. <laughs> and I feel like they even joked about that on air. So, but I don't know. They'll have some, you know, lawn chairs out there by the ramp. Uh -huh. and, you know, some umbrellas, I'm guessing, and beach balls. <laughs> Whatever. But regardless, it looks like we're going to have a ladder match to crown the undisputed TNT champion between Cody and Sammy, of course. And who the fuck knows? Maybe they'll throw in Goldust again. But that's pretty <laughs> much the highlights for AEW this week. I'm probably missing something, but, you know, it is what it is, and I'm tired. Had <laughs> <laughs> a long week, Christian. Yeah. Let's call this one. All right. <laughs> well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. All right, so make sure you tune in next week for your weekly dose of nerdy goodness and pop culture news. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. It's not wise to upset a Wookiee. But sir, nobody worries about upsetting a droid. It's because a droid don't pull people's arms out of their sockets when they lose. Nice.